Welcome to The Thought Locker, a podcast that enables personal growth. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we are talking about how to help your kids into a home. And and that's a subject that I'm definitely not an expert in. So I've brought in my friend, Jenny Cheevers, who is a source of awesome information for people on this podcast, mainly around the world of mortgage finance. Jenny, thank you so much for joining me again. Oh, thanks, Andrew, for having me. And um, I re- this is going to be a really interesting um, podcast. I'm sure that your listeners are going to get um, a lot of value out of it and maybe give them some some thoughts and ideas on how they might want to help their children. Because, I mean, if you think about it now, it, it is very difficult um, for children to, um, children, I say young people, um, to buy houses. And I know even my daughter said to me the other day, day we were driving she was like you are going to help me mum aren't you buy a house I'm like yeah I'll help you I said I'm not sure how but there will be a way of helping you we'll definitely help you so and it's certainly something during my selling career I I met so many people who were uh, going down this road they were they didn't want their kids to be priced out of the market so they were going to try and help them get into a home and and um, get them a a piece of the a piece of the real estate pie so to speak Uh, before we go further into it you know, I'll say that um, you know this is not personal financial advice from either of us, and, and this is this is general conversation uh, about these topics. But please get proper advice from your solicitor before making any property decisions. And and Jenny's disclosure statement is available on request. I think it's just really important to say that that every situation is very very different, and you should get um, advice suited to yeah. your own situation. I agree, Andrew, and um, definitely getting, uh, when you are helping your children buy houses, I think it's really important that you do get um, legal advice, and some of the banks actually require it, depending on um, which option you go down, that you that you have um, had that, and I suppose to add to what you said is just um, getting all the formalities done. Obviously, everything's subject to a full application, normal lending criteria applying um, to every application. So, and, and every bank does have kind of little differences and that's why it's really good to use somebody like myself who has got a, access to different lenders and so can find the one that's going to suit, suit your needs the best. Yeah. Especially with this situation where there's a few different ways of doing it and there might be one that, you know, maybe if you go to the bank directly, they don't necessarily suggest to you, but you talk to a good lawyer or you talk to someone like like yourself, Jenny, who who can say, look, there are, there are these other options. Pick the pick the choice that you think might best fit your scenario. Uh, so we're going to talk through those today, and I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Just having a chat to you before the podcast, it was quite enlightening for me too. For all of you out there in this, you know, in this space. Uh, Congratulations, it's awesome to be able to be in a position to want to help your kids. So first of all, well done you for, for being in this uh, for being in this place. To any younger ones out there who are trying to buy and who are able to get a bit of help from, from the bank of mum and dad, you know, that, that, that's awesome and, uh, and wonderful for you and, and how very cool that, um, that you're able to, to support each other into this. So with that being said, let's, uh, let's get into it. Jenny, you you were saying there's there's really four sort of ways to go about doing this. So maybe if we we break down each one and, and work through it, uh, that might be the best place to start. 
Yeah, I think that is. And maybe if we start with the easiest one, yep. uh, the simplest one. Uh, is, can, I, can I take a guess? It's probably just, here's some money for a deposit. Correct, yeah. And so, it, and this has been going on for like years, um, where uh, parents or even other family members like grandma and uncle um, is happy to gift you some money to help you with a house purchase. So, so the, the kids might have the income to get approved for the mortgage, but they're short of the deposit that the that the bank wants them to have. So you might get right. them 5% of the purchase price or 10% or more or whatever you, yeah. you are able to do to, to help get them across the line. That's right. And we're seeing this more and more often where there's quite a difference between having, say, a 20% deposit and more or less than 20%. And sometimes... The kids just need a little bit more and, you know, we're kind of talking sometimes maybe 20000 or or less just to top them up to that 20% and it can just make things, their application, one, seem more attractive to the bank and plus two, just kind of getting better interest rates, no additional kind of fees and things like that. So, so sometimes the parents step in and they'll like, yeah, top up the deposit um, to, to bring it, someone up to 20% or other times they've just got surplus funds that they're just, here's an amount and there's no cap on the amount of uh, money you can give to child. Uh, back in the day, and we're talking like that kind of 20 years ago, there was, there was gift duty, so there was a maximum level that you could gift, but now there isn't. And I've, I've seen quite eye-watering um sizes of deposits and I'm talking like hundreds um of thousands uh so yeah it, it can kind of be at any level the deposit when you're gifting a deposit the um the parents or whoever it is need to sign a gifting certificate because we still need to be able to show the bank where the money came from so often I get clients say oh mum will just put 10 grand in my account tomorrow it's like do you still need the certificate? Yes, I do. Because if you get $10,000 to show up on your bank account or even more, we still have to prove where that money came from. And part of the proving of where that money came from is so that because the bank wants to ensure that you actually haven't borrowed that money. So say, for example, you are a bit short and you think, oh, okay, I'll just get a higher purchase out with, I don't know, GM or Finance Now or somebody and that will make up my deposit. Well, no, that, that kind of doesn't count. So that's where we still need that gifting um, certificate to, to come through. But it is the simplest way for parents to help help children get into property. Yeah. Yeah, this, this comment will come up with, with most of these steps, but I think it's a great point to say, just remind people, look, if you are gifting money in this situation, have a chat to your family lawyer about if there's any way to structure this or that you should be mindful of, you know, particularly in a circumstance where you've got one child buying a property that child has a partner and if you want to try and protect the interest in that money you know if you're gifting them 50 grand to buy a house and then uh, something goes wrong and 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 the kids break up you know uh, four years later then then um, have a chat to your lawyer about whether there's any ways to protect that uh, amount moving forward there may or may not be but but definitely something to talk through yeah, absolutely, because I have heard of some stories um, in the past where, yeah, the 
the ex-partner has ended up with some of that money and the parents been like, well, that really wasn't my intention. So definitely um, talk to you. Talk to a lawyer, and what a lawyer might suggest, and this is my this is the um, second um, way of helping your child out, is doing what they call a deed of acknowledgement of debt. So it's a formal agreement um, that a solicitor has drafted, and it basically outlines that I'm. It's, it's like I'm kind of giving you this money, but I'm not giving you this money. So it's a more formal arrangement. And normally with a deed of acknowledgement of debt, there's no, there's no like regular payment needs to be made and there's no interest that gets charged um, on it. Um, but often if the property is sold, um, the parents might want that money back. So And, the, and that's all, all worded in that document. Sometimes I've come across um, deed of acknowledgement of debt where interest is going to get charged and that's because a, a parent might have money on turn deposit at the bank and think, well, I'm not getting much interest on this. I might as well give it to my child. They can pay me what that interest would be. And so I feel happy. It's just like rather than me having the money in the bank, I've, uh, they've got it in their house, but I'm still getting the interest kind of generated if that's the case we still have to factor that in to what we call the bank's income servicing test so you'd need to make sure we'd need to make sure that the that the child's got the capacity to meet the mortgage repayments as well as what this nominal interest cost um and i say nominal because normally it is uh, uh, might be yeah i think that's a an option that a lot of people probably would look at, I imagine, you know, particularly it might be an option that's favoured by the actual purchaser, the, the, the child in this situation too, because they might feel better about, hey, look, at least I'm, if you're going to let me use this money to buy a house, I'm going to pay you what you would have got otherwise. Nice to have something there to sort of make everyone feel good about the, the situation going on and, and make them feel like they're paying their way as well. Yeah, and I, I think you bring up a real valid point there because I know with a lot of the people that I see that are getting help from mum and dad, they, they'd prefer not to. A lot of them really want to be able to do it on their own, but sometimes it's just not possible. But I remember one case where these clients had approved with a 10% deposit and we everything was all fine with their 10% deposit. And when we sat down and we chatted about interest rates and how they wanted to structure their lending and all of that, they came back and said, oh, um, my dad just realised the extra interest costs that I'm going to have and this extra fee now I'm going to have because we've only got 10%, and he's just going to give me the other 10%. So, like, they, they were really happy to do it, but the parents are, like, really happy to help out um, as well. I think it's uh, powerful to keep that in mind, and that's a nice message there too. You know, like, I, I'm, I'm 36 now, but I think back to when I was – you know, in my 20s and I would have been the same. I would have not wanted to accept any help and would have been determined to do it on my own. But, um, you know, the, the older me would say, hey, look, if, if someone's prepared to help you out and it's going to make things easier financially, um, it's very nice to let them be part of that process and, and, and accept that help if it works for you and, uh, and it, you know, if it suits you and your partner. You know, don't be, don't be afraid to, to accept that assistance, I, th- I would say now. Yeah, yeah, totally. Don't be too proud to take assistance. Yes. So there's various ways, like if you're thinking about 
loaning them the money, yeah, there's there's different options. You could do an interest interest free deed of acknowledgement of debt. You could do a an amount that is paid back principal and interest. Uh, you could charge whatever interest rate you decide is fair between you and yeah. and, and as long as you know it it, it um it, obviously it's important to like you say check with the bank about the serviceability and making sure that still works you've got plenty of options there plenty of ways that you could structure that i imagine yeah that's right yeah and i just think that it's important that um yeah you just get advice from your solicitor and then obviously it's meeting the banks um you know income servicing and income I, servicing test. Well, one I've seen happen a lot, and tell me if this is, you know, something you come across, but it, the money's not stuck in there forever too. Like, obviously, no one knows what's going to happen with prices, but if after five years the property's gone up in value, you know, and, and originally they bought it and scraped together a 20% deposit, they may be able to refinance the property after a few years, borrow a little bit more from the bank, pay back mum and dad, and then, you know, the, the, the kids have the property yeah, they, owned they outright can. without without owing any money to mum and dad as well? Yeah, they can potentially do that. I, potentially if, obviously, it's been a deed of acknowledgement of debt, but if they've signed a gift certificate saying that they gifted the money and it was non-interest-bearing and non-repayable, then I, I don't know that I would feel that comfortable applying to the bank saying, oh, can you give us this? Because now that gift, they are paying back. You're so, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is... There is um, and, you know, there is a duty to disclose. And so, yeah, we need to be upfront about what is actually happening so we can disclose things, um, disclose them properly. What other options are there? There are some other options, but I know we said that there was going to be four, but I've just thought of a fifth one, so we will come back to that. Um, but the so the third option is often people, you know, they don't have a lot of cash in the bank. You, I mean, it's not, not everyone's got lots of money in the bank. But what parents might have is they might have been able to pay off their entire mortgage on their property, or they might have a very small mortgage and the house has gone up in value, so they've got lots of equity. And they're thinking, how can I use this equity to help my child? Because I might live in a $500,000 house and owe nothing, or I might only owe fifty thousand. It's like that—that—that's kind of that asset's not kind of working in a way that could actually help my children. And so, to make that work um, for your kids is what what we call, you know, the and, and you hear it around a lot is the parents going as guarantor. So when a parent goes as a guarantor, it is ninety nine percent of the time that. The children have got the capacity to repay a, a mortgage of a, a particular amount, but they haven't got any deposit or they've got little deposit. And so what they need is they kind of need that, the magic number, the 20% thing. And so what we normally do in that case is we do what we call an 80-20 split. So we'll use you as an example, Andrew. Let's say, Andrew, that you want to go out and buy a $500,000 property and you've got an extremely good salary and you can afford the repayments on $500,000 all on your own and you meet the bank's criteria to do that, but you've got no deposit. So what we would look at doing is Andrew buys the house and 
Andrew has for 500000 and he has a $400,000 mortgage that's in his name. So that's just all his to one side. Then for the other 20%, we have borrowed, there's a $100,000 loan, which is secured against mum and dad's house. Now, mum and dad's house, their, their, um, their property is still in their name only, but that $100,000 mortgage has got the name of Andrew on it and mum and dad. Now, what that means is that if Andrew stops paying the $400,000 mortgage, the bank could mortgage sell that house. That's, that's what could happen if he, doesn't, if he defaults on his payments. But mum and dad aren't involved in that house because we've got their, what their liability is at 20% which is secured against their house, which is in the name of Andrew and Mum and Dad. Now, if Andrew stopped paying that 100000 then Mum and Dad are going to have to pay that 100000 back out of their regular income. Or if that mortgage started getting defaulted on, then the bank could sell Mum and Dad's property as well. I think that's uh, extremely well explained. <laughs> I think that's... Um... Yeah, well done. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense to me. And I, it's quite cool that there's a scenario whereby potentially, and obviously, you know, every case is individual, but, you know, there's a case where even if the person buying the home doesn't have a massive deposit, there's still a way for mum and dad to help them into a house, even if mum and dad don't have a whole lot of cash to, to stump up for the yeah. deposit as well. Yeah. And it's a way where potentially mum and dad aren't exposed. It's not like they're buying the whole property, they're buying, you know, they're, 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 or they're, yeah. they're guaranteeing 20% of this purchase, not the whole. Yeah, thing. so their exposure is limited to that. And that's where, and each bank has different kind of criteria on how they assess that additional 20% right. and how the guarantee might apply. And so it is important that, you know, we look through which, which lender is going to have the best option. Okay, so with the guarantor approach, definitely another good time to speak to your solicitor just to talk through how exactly that's going to play and, and make sure you run through any documents that the bank give you through through a solicitor, I imagine, as well is really important. Yeah, well, in, in this case, definitely the bank would want it, wants to ensure that the parents have had independent legal advice so they know what they are letting themselves in for. So I suppose it can become a little bit, and this is where sometimes the banks can be a little bit weary. If mum and dad are retired, so their income is nominal, then it might not be looked on so favourably because if then there was uh, mortgage payments that weren't being met, the parents might not have the, the cash flow to be able to do that, so that puts them in a vulnerable position. So it's, it's just all about being responsible and the banks and all lenders really want to be responsible lenders. So you don't want to be putting people in situations that are going to cause undue hardship for them. But, but also something important to keep in mind that just because you've got a whole lot of equity in your home, if you're the parent in this situation, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll you'll be able to be the guarantor. So, you know, have a think about this stuff. If, if retirement is a few years away, but, you know, this is something that's on the horizon for you that you want to be able to do, then it's important to, to think through these things now before potentially you go down that retirement track and, and, and are una- unable to help out when you thought you might be able to. Yeah, yeah, no, good point, yeah. So number four. 
So number four is when you might have that that the parents end up buying the property with the child, so all three of them buy the property, and then like so they're all so they're all owners essentially. Okay, and that might be that mum and dad have got some cash that they want to invest in a property, but they don't necessarily want to give it to their child. They still want a bit of control over maybe what's happening. And so therefore then, you know, you're buying it all jointly and everyone's, you know, responsible for making the mortgage payments essentially. And that could work here, like I say, with if the parents have got cash that they want to invest or be that they've got a property that they've got equity and that they want to um, leverage that equity. What you need to be careful of with the co-borrowing is where the child might not have the capacity to meet the mortgage payments from a bank's point of view, but they're like, yeah, I know I can do it because I can live on two-minute noodles every day and, and they think they can make the mortgage payments. A lender might look at that and go, well, actually, no, the the, the, the parents are what we call a borrower of convenience. So they've been put in the application basically just to meet a bank's criteria, but the parents had no intention of ever making those repayments on the mortgage. So, yeah, you just have to be a bit careful around that. It has to be a genuine intent that, yeah, that everyone's responsible for the mortgage payment. I imagine that's a fairly common scenario where you're, you've got a, a child that, that you, you know, you want to help them into a home, but maybe it's just the one person buying the property, you know, they don't have a, a partner, there's not two incomes there, and maybe you're trying to buy in a market like Wellington where that, you know, one person on their own, it's very hard for them to have the serviceability to, to buy some of these houses. So maybe the parents come on as a joint borrower. I feel like I saw that a fair bit when I was selling first-home type properties around the northern suburbs that yeah. would come up quite a lot. Um, so I imagine that, that's a scenario that could come up for a few people. Yeah, it could do it. To be honest, I don't, I don't find that it comes up that often. The, probably the most popular one is the gifting and then obviously the, the guarantor, the, the putting the house up as security. And you mentioned you've got a fifth one. Which... A fifth one, yeah, because as we were talking, I just thought about it. I've had um, one case just last month where the clients bought a property as an investment, but it was their intention that the son was going to live in that property. And essentially the rent, they actually drew up a tenancy agreement with the son and the rent that they nominated was sufficient to cover their mortgage. And so it it was their intention that they would own that for a certain period of time. And then when the um, child, the the son was ready, he was actually going to buy the property from them. That could be a really useful scenario if it's a situation where the parents are quite happy to own a property that they want to sort of own an investment property anyway. Maybe the child is, you know, sort of likes the idea of owning a property, but it's not quite fully, you know, maybe they still uh, think there's a chance they might want to go traveling overseas for a while, or, or maybe they're in a, you know, job situation, which is a bit more in flux where, you know, it's, it's better suited that the parents buy the property uh, and have that control over it. But then you've got an asset there, which you can choose to um, to sell to your to your child later on down the track if 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 the if the stars align and if it works out. 
Yeah, that's right. And I did do one um, a while back too where the parent actually bought a property that needed quite a bit of work doing to it. I mean, not, I mean, when I say quite a bit, I mean, not major structural stuff, but kind of cosmetic stuff. She put her um, son and his partner in there. They did it up. The property had gone up in value. So they ended up buying it from mum at a certain value, but they didn't have. I can't actually remember how much deposit they had, but they didn't like, say, have a 20% cash deposit. But with being able to utilise the equity that was there because of, one, the repayments that have been made on the mortgage that they were essentially paying, and two, the the value that they'd added, plus they used their KiwiSavers because they'd never owned before, the house wasn't in their name, you know, we were able to get... um, get that mortgage approved for them. So that that's another way as well. That could be yeah, it could be a really good option for a lot of people, I imagine. Even if your child is, is nowhere near sort of the age where they start to want to settle down and buy houses, but maybe you want to lock in an asset that might suit them down the track now. Um, you know, and you're in a position to buy an investment property that's that's probably not a bad scenario really to, to look at. And actually the more I think about it now, the more I'm thinking, mm, maybe that's the way I want to help my children out yeah. because then it gives them flexibility that should they want to travel um, at some point overseas or, you know, they they might get a promotion or, well, not a promotion, but move to a different job in a different city and not want that property there if it was you know, in my name, and I could then just rent it out to somebody else. It does make things a lot easier. It takes yeah. the pressure off the child too if they decide they want to stay at university or go back to school or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. And and so key there, I guess, would, would just be to, to buy a property that you're happy to hold on to, uh, whether your child, or at least, you know, happy to, to rent out or, or even look at selling if your child decides not to buy it. So buy a, a fundamentally sound property there, no matter what. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you make a good point there. Yeah, that you that you're that you're although you've got probably in the back of your mind you want it to be a nice property for your child to live in. You also want it to be a good investment should you need to be um, be renting it out. So some really good options there. You 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 saying the the most common one is the gifting some level of the. Deposit though, that's yes. the one you come across. Yeah, the most. yeah, it is, and I think in a lot of cases that's quite popular because most children have KiwiSaver, um, so that a lot have got a sizable amount anyway. And actually, I spoke to somebody today, a young person who was paying ten percent into their KiwiSaver because they wanted to build that up more quickly so they could use it to buy a house, and then when they bought a house, they were going to drop it down. So. More so now, um, children have got some money. They might not have a lot, but they've got that. They have got some, and generally that's through KiwiSaver. Brilliant information there. Anything else you would add to that from situations where you've helped people in a similar similar scenario? No, I think that kind of um, that kind of covers. I, I think I'd, I'd reiterate that you know they should speak to someone like yourself because the bank's situations change all the time and every bank has got different requirements all the time. So speak to someone. I've found lots of value in my life working with you because you can tell me, right, okay, well, I think, you know, um, ASB is a good option at at this point in time because of this, 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 or, or you know, it could be a number of different banks that you can choose from. So you're able to give people the lay of the land. 
Um, but also they're very good person to talk to, like we've said a few times, as, as your solicitor. And, and for both the, the kids and mum and dad to get independent advice in that regard, there's no problem with, with doing that. And it's a really good thing to make sure that you both that you both do, really. Some great options, though. And it's in, enlightening to me how many choices there are there, options for everybody, really. Yeah, there is. I think there is um, always options and always kind of worth um, talking it through and seeing what the best option is. And if you are a child talking to your parent about trying to help you, you might find that the easiest way for them to help you is the way that they're going to want to help you. So I remember once a long time ago saying to a client, if I make this difficult for your dad, he's not going to want to do it. And so, yeah, it's just about kind of making that process um, easier. Hey, Jenny, thank you so much for all your advice, as always. You've explained things so well and so clearly, and uh, and it's an asset to, to, to me and to the podcast that you're able to come in and do that. So thank you again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's a real privilege for me to be able to talk about something that I'm really passionate about and, um, you know, most of all of my clients will know I just love what I do and love helping people and making things work and especially sometimes people can't explain too well what they want to do and then going into the bank doesn't help them because if they don't know how to explain exactly what they want to do then they're not going to get the right answer that they want so yeah come and talk to me but just a reminder that yeah obviously everything's subject to a normal bank's um, lending criteria and a full application. And certainly with regard to your KiwiSaver, you need to determine yourself how much you want to be contributing towards that. I know I mentioned somebody was paying a higher amount, but it's completely your um, own choice where you choose to make your um, savings for your, for your deposit. Jenny, I'll put your contact details in the show notes, but um, how do people best get hold of you just in case they're listening to this and they're out out on the run? How should they get in touch with you? The easiest way is to Google Jenny Cheevers, Andrew Duncan, and all of the, uh, everything will come up then because that's how a lot of people have got hold of me. So good old Google. There's a few other podcasts that we've done together, so you might find some other tips in there that can be really useful. We did a really cool yeah. one on uh, tips for getting your mortgage application approved, which uh, I'll link to in the show notes too, but that's got some great advice for people who are kind of six or 12 months out from applying for a mortgage, but just to make sure that they increase their chances of, of you know, getting a yes from the bank when the time comes. 